Good morning. Good morning. For those of you that weren't in here earlier, my name is John, and I'm the pastor around here. Some of you might be new with us, and I'm glad that you're here today. And uh, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time today. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and start heading there, just to be prepared, whether that's a print Bible or whether you have it on your phone. Um, and in the meantime, listen, I, I got a question for you. Are you the kind of person who likes to be right? Mm, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that people love to be right and they love to have special knowledge that nobody else has? Right? This is what leads to a lot of like conspiracy theories and things. People get really into stuff because they feel like they know something nobody else knows. And that makes us feel really good as people to kind of have special knowledge or like insider information or whatever. And if we're not careful, what often happens is when we have that insider information, we can make people who don't have that, well, we can make, try to make them look dumb, okay? I, I was thinking about a time when I've done this, because I have a tendency to do this, okay? Mm-mm. No, because I do like to be right, and I do have lots of random information, and so I have a tendency to do this. Um, and so to, just to, I guess, illustrate this, I want to talk about chicken wings for a minute, Okay? Many of you already know this, but chicken wings are my favorite food on the entire planet. I was born and raised near Buffalo, the home of the chicken wing, the buffalo wing. And so it's been, honestly, a big part of my life. I, top five, probably. Um, Jess is number one. You're number one? Just important things in my life? Maybe top 10. Anyway, um, but I love, so it's, I, I mean, I dream about chicken wings, and I consider myself a little bit of a chicken wing connoisseur. And not only the quality of chicken wings and all of the sauces and other things that you can, you can do with chicken wings and the, the way you cook them and everything, um, but also just volume of eating. Uh, I feel like I'm a bit of an expert. When I was in college, we went to college fairly close to uh, the original location of Quaker Steak and Lube, all right? You know what I'm talking about. All right. So Quaker Steak and Lube is Sharon, Pennsylvania, I think is where, the, or Ohio, it's over the border in Ohio. Sharon, Ohio is where the original location of Quaker Steak and Lube is. And when I was in college on Tuesday nights, they did all you can eat wing night for eight bucks. And listen, when you're a college kid and you're reaching through the cushions on the couch trying to find change that someone else left there to eat, $8 all you can eat anything is good. But $8 all-you-can-eat chicken wings is even better. And so we would, on Tuesday nights, me and the other guys from my fraternity, would we would pile people into the car, as many guys in the car. And if we had to take a second car, we would. Didn't want to spend the gas, but whatever. So we would get as many people in the car as we possibly could and drive the 45 minutes to Sharon, Ohio, to the original Quaker Steak and Lube, and try to eat our weight in chicken wings. We had to get our money's worth. We did the math. There was no way you were going to make them lose money, but you could get close. And so we would have competitions. We would go and have competitions, and so there was a whole system, because the way it worked there is that you would, you would get a set of 10 wings, and you could get whatever flavor you wanted. you get a set of 10, and then you could reorder a set of five, and a set of five, and a set of five, and a set of five. And you could change your flavors every time, or the heat level, or whatever, and there was an art to it, and a science. 
And so, like, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want so- wings that were too saucy because that took up space in your stomach, and you certainly didn't eat the carrots and celery that they put out, which was adorable. Like, you're not going to take up space with that, and and you don't drink soft drink because you're going to drink more of that, and that takes up space, and so you just have to get water. All right, so there's a whole system to it. And so what you would do is you need something that was just fairly plain and that was your daily driver and not too hot either because that'll mess with you. And so like mild, 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 and then you got to do a flavor that you really love because at that point, you're getting sick of wings. So you need to rebirth your love of chicken wings and then you can keep going. All right, so we would go and we would compete. And the 45-minute drive out to uh, uh, to, uh, Quaker Steak and Lube was fine. Um, But the drive back with a bunch of college guys packed into a car after eating however many wings. My record, by the way, and I'm very proud of this, and I will say it proudly from stage, was 76 chicken wings in one sitting. I survived. I survived. 76 wings. All right. So anyway, I love chicken wings so much that when we, Jess and I got married, I got to choose what we did for the rehearsal dinner. So we did an all-you-can-eat chicken wing buffet at Quaker Steak and Lube. That was our rehearsal dinner. She was not displeased with that either because she loves them. So we moved. We do all that, right? And then we move to Salisbury. And this was in 2003. We moved here in 2003. And I can't find good wings anywhere. No offense. You do barbecue, great. Okay? You do, you do sweet tea, wonderful. It's super sweet, like really sweet. Um. And it's like a 50-50 ratio of tea to sugar, I'm pretty sure, all right? But chicken wings, mm, not so much, at least not in 2003. And everyone said, you got to go to this place, you got to go to that place. I'm like, nah, 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 this is not what I'm used to, right? Until I found out that a guy that we knew, actually from Jess's hometown, was going to be opening a Quaker Steak and Lube in Concord. And I was like, yeah. My place, my home, coming to my new home. I was so excited. And so we found out that it had opened down near Concord Mills. Some of you, you know, if you know it, that might be where you know it from. And so it opened down at Concord Mills, and we went on Tuesday. Oh, you can eat wings. I was like, I'm back, baby. Here we go, right? And so we walk in and we sit down and I'm like, this place doesn't know what it's about to hit them, you know? And so we sit down and we order and we, we order all you can eat wings and they raise the price. I was a little disappointed with that. But nevertheless, they raised, it was like 12 bucks, but I was like, that's still a good deal. And, uh, and so we sit and I order my first 10 and then I order my next five and my next five and my next five. So I'm at 25 now. And the server comes to the table, and she says, is there anything more we can do for you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take, uh, I'll take a, uh, a set of five uh, Louisiana liquors. That was my favorite flavor, all right? And, um, and I said, I'll take a set of five, and she looked at me, and she said, um, I don't think the computer will let me do that. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, it caps out at 25 wings. Because in her head, she was probably thinking, what sane person eats more than 25 wings? <laughs> And she says, they won't let me do that. And I was like, it's all you can eat, wings. And she's like, yeah, but, but the computer, the policy says it's only 25 wings. And in my head, I'm thinking, listen, lady, this is not your house. This is my house. <laughs> and I know the rules. And I said, no, listen. I have gone for years to the original location, 
in Ohio. And I don't want to throw this out here, but I know the owner of this place. And it is all you can eat. I mean, listen, I was a Karen before they called him that. Okay. And I was, I was like, I was like, listen, it's all you can eat wings. So I don't know what you got to do, but it's all you can eat wings. And I'm going to eat all the wings I can eat. And at this point, it's a personal mission. Okay. Like I want her to know that I know, and she doesn't know. All right. And so she finally goes and gets the manager and she's like, okay, well, we talked it over. And I guess what we can do is put in a second order for you and then we'll comp it. And that way you can keep going. And I was like, that's right. You will, because it's all you can eat, and I know that. Like, I felt like I was the insider, and she was the outsider, and she was going to know that she was the outsider, and I really wanted to go to 51 just so she would have to do that again, okay? But I didn't. I didn't make it. I was out of practice, (laughs) right? So sometimes when we are so convinced that we're right or want to be right, it makes us feel good to feel right, and it makes us feel even better when we can prove how wrong someone else is, which unfortunately is a terrible mentality, and unfortunately, Christians are really good at this, really good at having knowledge of certain things and then judging everyone else by their standard of knowledge, thinking that everyone else needs to live the way that you know that you're supposed to live because it's what you know and you think everybody else should know that. And if they don't know that or they don't live the way that you live, that they're somehow less or foolish and it's your job to put them in their place. Unfortunately, Christians do this just hand over fist. And it is not the mentality that we are supposed to have. We are supposed to live with more grace. We're supposed to live with more understanding, knowing that all believers are at different places on this journey, at different places on this path, that the Spirit is leading us and he is showing us how we're supposed to bring honor and glory to God and that we are supposed to be helping each other walk on the path, not judging each other and not despising each other. And the example that Paul gives here in Romans chapter 14, we are in the middle of right now. So I need to recap for those of you that weren't with us a few weeks ago. He is giving the analogy of two believers, one of which he calls strong. And the strong believer is a believer who understands the freedom that they have in the gospel, in the good news. Meaning, He's already covered this in the beginning of Romans, but um, we cannot be justified or made right in front of God by works of the law or good deeds or good actions. It's not possible. Not Not by being a good person now, not by keeping the Old Testament law to a T. You can't be justified in front of God by keeping the law. You can only be justified in front of God by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. All right. By God's grace, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and by faith we trust in him for salvation, and we are, we are justified before God, not by works of the law. But then he also goes on to say, also though, you are not saved or delivered in this world, delivered from the penalty and wrath of God against sin in this world by works of the law either. If you try to do that, you'll be extremely frustrated. That's what Romans chapter 7 is about. He said, I tried that, and I was frustrated. I tried to follow the law, and I couldn't. It just kept beating me up. We're not supposed to live by the law either, but we're supposed to live by the Spirit, and that's Romans chapter 8. We're supposed to live by the Spirit. And so we're walking with him, and we're learning, and then we're looking at the law, and the law is teaching us, but we are not obligated to it, and it's not the way that we're sanctified or set free or delivered or any of that. So he says, so what if you have one believer who understands this 
And he uses the example, specific example of food. So there were, there were foods from in the Old Testament law that were unclean. They were not allowed to eat. He says, so you have one believer who understands that they are not obligated to eat clean like that. Not, that, they, that the things that were unclean, they are allowed to eat. And so uh, you have one believer that knows that, and then you have another believer that doesn't. He calls this a weaker believer. This is a, the, the weaker believer is someone who has put their faith in Jesus for salvation, but they still think they are obligated to keep the Old Testament law. And so they don't want to eat meat that is unclean. And so to, to like the just nuclear, uh, uh, is it nuclear or nuclear? Nuclear, thank you. The nuclear uh, approach to that is just say, well, then I'm not going to eat meat at all. I don't want to break the law, and so I'm going to be a vegetarian. And so you've got this weaker believer who's a vegetarian. They're not weaker because they're a vegetarian, just be clear about that. They are weaker because they think they have to be. <laughs> they don't understand the freedom that they have in Christ. And so he says, how is the mature believer who knows they can eat anything, all right, they have that freedom, and then they have to make a choice, how are they supposed to uh, relate to the weaker believer who doesn't understand this yet and feels obligated? Well, he says, and this is what we talked about the, the last time we met and talked about Romans. He says that the, weaker, the stronger believer should not despise the weaker believer. So don't look at them and say, you fool, you, how, how could you believe this? This is so dumb. And, and to despise them or put them down because they just don't know better yet. And they're doing what they're doing because they want to honor God, and that's good. And so that's what they're, they're obligated to. All right, so don't despise the weaker believer. And then he says that the weaker believer should not judge the, the stronger believer as they're exercising their freedom. Because ultimately, God is the one who's going to judge. We don't judge each other. God will judge us, and, and we'll be accountable to that. All right, so he says that we basically, in the, mind your own business, and trust that God is bringing us all along in the journey. All right, so that was what we talked about last time. And that's what we're going to jump in. He's going to take this analogy and he's going to develop it a little further because it's not just, I'm going to do what I do and forget about you. All right, you don't judge me. You don't despise me. You leave me alone. I'll do what I do. And who cares what you think about it? That's not where he can leave this analogy. So we're going to continue in verse 13. All right, Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather, so don't judge, what we just talked about, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him, it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. So here's, here's, here's where he's turning this a little bit. He's saying, yes, you are going to be responsible to God for how faithful you were and how he led you, okay? And nobody else is, is going to judge you or should judge you for that. But the decisions that we make have an impact on the people around us. And if we're going to walk in love, then we need to think about how our actions are impacting the other believers that are around us. Because ultimately, the faith that we have been called to is not just an individual faith. It is a family of faith. It's not just me and what God is doing in me. It is us and what God is doing in us. And so um, it's, 
it's, it's not just, so we need to be considerate of one another. So what's he talking about here? We got we again, we need to look at the exact context of this. Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about food. Okay. Some people take that verse and broaden it out way too far. He's talking about food. That's what he's talking about. It's just for this, the purpose of this example. He says, I know that this food is, is clean. It's okay. And how does he know that? Well, he's, he's been convinced directly by Jesus um, but also we know there's a famous place in Acts chapter 10 where Peter, who is a Jewish believer, okay, and he uh, is eating, presumably eating clean, uh, not eating unclean things, and he has a vision. And in the vision, uh, a cloth is lowered down, and on the cloth are all kinds of animals, clean, uh, unclean as well. And, and God says to him in the vision, take and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 I've never eaten anything uh, common or unclean. I can't, I, can't, I can't do that. Maybe Peter thought it was a test. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 I can't do that. And God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And it happens three times. You'll see that's a pattern with Peter, by the way. He needs to have things happen three times. God does it three times to prove the point. And so Peter knows that those things are now not unclean. Now there's actually, just for, for accuracy, Acts chapter 10, the bigger picture of what God is saying to Peter is don't call the Gentiles unclean. Because Peter was about, the, the ministry to the Gentiles was about to begin. But in that, he says very clearly, now these foods, it's not a problem. You, you have freedom, right? You have to make a choice. There's nothing unclean. And he knows that. And, and so Paul says, you know, in this case, you know, I'm strong. I know that. I'm strong and, and, and mature in the gospel. But if you have a weaker brother or sister who doesn't know that yet, then in that case they are obligated to conscience, and for them it would be unclean. So what are you supposed to do when you, when you have this knowledge of the freedom that you have and you encounter another believer that doesn't have that knowledge? Are you supposed to throw it in their face? Are you supposed to, are you supposed to, to tell them that they're foolish? Are you supposed to you know, get on your high horse and start riding around? What is it? No, we're supposed to love them. That would, uh, we should not intentionally put a stumbling block in their way because we see the lack of knowledge that they have and we want to prove our knowledge. And so we put a stumbling block in their way. So that would defy the law of love. And, and that trumps any convictions that you may have. See, we can be wrong even if we're right, if we're right in the wrong way. A child of God should always walk in love. Now, in this analogy, just for clarity, he's not talking about two believers that both have a clear understanding of the gospel and have made different decisions. All right, we should love and respect in, in, in that situation for sure. But you might have a case where, and I'll use, instead of using food, because that's not as, as common a discussion, but let me talk about the Sabbath for a second. Because the Sabbath is commanded in the law, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's one of the commandments. Now, as believers, we are not, we have freedom in the gospel and we are not obligated to keep the letter of the law. It's not the way that we are, we are um, you know, saved or delivered in this world. It's not the way our relationship with God is built. So we are not legally obligated, think of it that way, legally obligated to keep the Sabbath. We know we have that freedom. But now we look at the Sabbath and we know that the Sabbath teaches us something about God and about his character and about what he wants for us. So we look at the Sabbath and we say, why did God put the Sabbath in place? He put the Sabbath in place because, first of all, we need to rest. There's lots of reasons, but among them, we need to rest. He set an example for us. He rested on the seventh day when he didn't have to. 
And in that day, he enjoyed the creation. And so when we think about the Sabbath, we need to take time. All right? We see that the reason he put that in place is he wanted people to learn that they needed to take a day, they needed to rest, they needed to worship him and honor him and enjoy his creation, that they needed to take a day to not work and trust him. That's a big deal. We think we got to burn the candle at both ends and work 24-7 in order to be productive. I'm telling you, that's not the way it works. And if you stop and take a breath and take a rest, you'll find out that's not how it works. Besides the fact that their chicken is delicious, I think this is one of the reasons that Chick-fil-A's line always gets in my way when I'm trying to get to my office. They take the day off on Sunday, which most businesses would say is insane. You know, you're losing profits. You're losing, you're losing a portion of the business that you could have on Sunday. I mean, how many of us have left out of here on Sunday and you're like, boy, I could really use some Chick-fil-A right now, you know? But you can't, and you got to settle for something else, right? But they decided as a company that they wanted to take that day off and that they were going to trust God. So we're going to take this day off. We're going to let everybody rest. We're going to let our employees rest. We're going to let them worship. We're going to let them go to church. We're going to let them do what they got to do, and we'll pick it back up on Monday. And you know what? That line is slammed all the time. And I think part of that is God honoring the decision that they've made to rest and to take the day. All right, so all of the, the principle, what God has set up for us on the Sabbath is beautiful and good. And so, we, but we know we're not obligated to keep the Sabbath. So what is a believer supposed to do? In their freedom, we're to look at that and say, God, what do you, how do you want me to do this? How do you want me to honor this? And for some believers, it is to keep the Sabbath to a T, exactly like it's in Scripture. In the freedom they have to choose to do it exactly like it is in Scripture. I had a friend in college that did this. And he would, he would observe Sunday was, was, was his day of rest. And he would go to church, and then he would do nothing else. And now I feel like kind of a jerk because I would be like, I'll be trying to get him to do stuff. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Like, let's go play basketball, you know? And he'd be like, no, I can't go play basketball. I'm resting. So, like, that was a choice that he made. Or another believer may say, oh, no, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to take a certain amount of time every day, or I'm supposed to make sure this margin is built into my life, or I'm going to make sure that I'm worshiping, and I'm not going to work on Sunday until da, 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 whatever. Whatever. We have freedom in the Spirit to make those kinds of decisions and to be led in different ways, and we're all different, and He's going to do that in us. So first question is, have I been asking those questions? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do to honor you? And then you may have mature believers that make different decisions on that, and we're supposed to respect each other. But what do you do when you have one who doesn't understand that freedom yet? This is what the analogy is about. This is what the example is about. And I think what Paul is getting at, I think this is, they were having problems with this, believe it or not, in their church. They were having problems with antagonistic spiritual elitism. So this is the picture. This is what, this is what would happen. I'm a believer and I understand the freedom that I have. You're a believer, and maybe you're, you're, in this case, a Jewish believer who's kept the law their entire life and feels like you're still obligated to keep the law, and I know that you are following that legalistically and that you shouldn't be doing that because I have knowledge that, that we're, we're in freedom. And so I invite you over to my house for a party, and everybody sits down at the table, and when dinner comes out, the plate's set down in front of you, and it's a pork chop. And I know what this is going to do to you. I know this puts you in a situation where now you have to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to eat this thing to be a good guest and I'm to, to appease the host and defy my convictions? Or am I going to abstain from it and be, you know, you know, have everybody at this party judge me? 
right? The, what I think what he's getting at here is an antagonistic mature believer who's trying to prove or shame an immature believer by putting their, their knowledge or their lack of knowledge in front of them, which seems so rude, right? It just seems so rude. And he says, yes, I mean, why would you do this? Apparently, it was happening in some form or fashion. Let me, let me give you an example today that might, that might make, that um, might, you know, like sit a little more current. Um, so let's say you have someone who has a, they're a believer, but they have a legalistic um, belief about the way that they dress, okay? Like, let's say, um, let's say you have a believer and she believes that she needs to always have her head covered. And so she has a head covering all of the time. And you know that she doesn't have to do that. Choosing to do it is one thing. She's doing it because she thinks she has to because of the law. And so you um, are going over to her house, all right? And in this case, imagine you're a lady, okay? (laughs) You're going over to her house. You know you have the freedom to not wear a head covering, but you know that would offend her if you show up. But you know what? I have freedom. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going over there without my head covered, just to show her, just because I have freedom, and I want her to know that. And I'm, so I'm going to walk in my freedom. I'm going to be judged by God, and, and so I need to do what I'm supposed to do, and so I'm not going to put a head covering on when I go over there. Is that the loving thing to do? No. Does that actually produce anything? No. Does, does, that, does that increase unity? Does that, does that give you a platform or steal your platform to influence this person and show them the freedom that they have? It steals it. That's not acting in love. So in that case, yeah, is, is, do you have to, you know, cover your head? No. But if that's what that person believes, then cover your head when you go over there. Think about your brother or sister above yourself. Not antagonistically trying to shove it in their face. Because if you put them in a position where they end up judging you or where they end up feeling conflicted and making a decision to go against what their conscience is at the time, then you're causing them to sin. Don't do that. We need to be considerate of one another. He says, uh, verse 16, Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Christians are really good at majoring in the minors, stuff that doesn't really matter. Who cares if you cover your head? Who cares if the person comes over and you don't serve them pork or shellfish or whatever, if that's their conviction and it allows you to love them and serve them and hopefully show them the freedom ultimately that they have. There are bigger things than these minor things. And when we get hung up or we divide over the minor things, it does nobody any good. And so we need to be more gracious. Righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit matter more. And if you walk in love, you serve Christ, and you will be acceptable to God and to men. And the thing about Christianity is that the Christian faith is not an individualistic one. It's a communal one. And we live in an individualistic society, so this is something we need to deprogram in our heads. We live in a society that says, you do you, you think about you, look out for number one, you decide what you're going to do, and then just don't let anybody else tell you, you know, don't let any, anybody else influence that. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is you're a part of a community, 
And so the decisions that you make influence the people around you. And so you need to think, not, not in a place that makes you overly anxious or overly self-conscious or anything, but you need to just think proactively about how the decisions you make impact the people around you and make decisions that are in their interest over even your own. The faithful Christian values mutual consideration over their individual rights. This is not what I have the right to do. The gospel is incredible, and it makes us a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. It makes us children of God. It makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And what we're trying to do is help each other to walk faithfully. And that only is going to be accomplished in love. And so we need to hold our, our, all of our convictions that way. He says, um, verse 19, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Basically, he's saying you're serving them the pork chop and trying to put it in their face, and who cares about food? <laughs> I mean, I do, but he's like, who cares about food? It's not that big a deal, right? Serve chicken. It's okay. It's not that big a deal. You're making a, a, a little thing a big thing, and it's hurting you, and it's hurting them. What we should be doing is looking for ways to edify each other. Okay, an edifice, that's just another word for a building. It's a, it's a construction, it's a building that we're supposed to be building each other up, not tearing each other down, and judgment or dismissiveness or whatever, all it does is tear people down. So build each other up. And if that means, it means you know, adjusting to their convictions in order to do that, then do that, it's not a big deal. Um, in groups this week, you're going to read um, and study through 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and then a little bit of, of 10, where Paul takes this whole idea and he expands it out into a much bigger section, and he talks about food that's been sacrificed to idols and what you're supposed to do, because that was, that was a problem for them. But ultimately, he lands the plane, and you'll talk about this in your groups, but he, he lands this plane with saying, to the Greek, I became like a Greek. To the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the weak, I became like the weak. Why? So that... I might save some. He said, I adjusted and adapted to their weaknesses or to their, their restrictions or their whatever so that I would have a platform to share the gospel with them because none of that other stuff really matters. So I'll make the adjustment. As the stronger believer, I'll make the adjustment so I have the opportunity to show you ultimately the freedom that you have. And so it's a really beautiful thing. And you'll, you'll read all the way through all the, the, the elements of that and the decision that Paul makes. And one of the things that he says in 1 Corinthians um, 8 and 9, and if you're not in a group, read it on your own this week and, 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 and go through it. But one of the things that he says is, hey, these are the decisions that I'm making. The other apostles are making other decisions, and that's okay. They can make their decisions on how they're going to handle this. But this is how I'm choosing to do it. It's really a beautiful passage. All right? We need to edify each other, grow, build each other up and encourage. You know, like, I read this analogy this week of uh, scissors. So, like, when you have a baby in the house, you know it's dangerous for the, for the scissors to be around, right, or the plug to be unplugged. So what do you do? You baby-proof the house, right? You, you put the scissors away. You put them in a drawer. You put a cover on the plug. Ultimately, the goal is that child's going to grow up to an age where you don't have to do that anymore. But what do you do? You take the dangerous thing and you put it away because they just don't know how to handle it yet. And that's okay. So yeah, you have to go into the drawer to get the scissors out of the drawer, but it's what's best for them. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, it's annoying. You got to pull the little cover off of the plug in order to plug your thing in, 
right? But it's what's best for the, for the child, for the baby. Make the sacrifice so that they are safe, so that they can grow, so that they can continue to mature. And then one day, the goal is ultimately that they will mature and understand, and then one day you could leave the scissors out, but you shouldn't because everything should be in a drawer, right? Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> but where it's finally safe to do that, right? We're all at different places, so we need to be gracious with one another. The immature believer needs to be growing in knowledge, but the mature believer should always be growing in love. He says in verse 14, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Meaning um, he knows everything is pure, but if the person, he, the weaker brother doesn't know and they eat, that would be an offense for them. That'd be sinful. So he says, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So he's talking about the consideration of the weaker brother and not doing something that you know is going to put a stumbling block in their way, that you know is going to cause them to stumble. What we need is spirit-led discernment. Okay? We have the freedom that we have as believers, and we're trying to walk in that, belief, that, that um, freedom and, and know what God wants from us. But we need to ask the Spirit to lead us in different situations. What about now? Okay, I'm going over to this person's house for dinner. What should I do? What should I not do? Ask the Spirit to lead in that so that you don't do anything that would offend them. All right, to think about the meeting that you're going into, to think about whatever, and then allow the Spirit to show us how to adapt, how to adjust, and what is best. Verse uh, 22, do you have faith? And in this case, faith, not just faith, like this is not faith in Jesus for salvation. This is faith, confidence that you're following and, and listening to uh, the Spirit. Do you have confidence in the decisions that you're making and the freedom that you have? Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For what is not from faith is sin. Now this is a verse, again, this is one of those that gets plucked up out of the context and used in a lot of ways it was never intended to be used. Um, Whatever is not from faith is sin means that if we don't have confidence that what we're doing is honoring and glorifying to God, if we haven't sought it out and we're doing it anyway and we doubt and we do it, then that's sinful for us. All right, so that we need to have confidence in how God wants us to live and to be walking and living that way. And if we're not, if we know we're doing something, making a decision, a lifestyle, a choice, a relationship, or something that we know or that we're not sure is honoring to God, then that is sinful for us in our life. And so we need to have faith and we need to have confidence before God in all of those things. And so the first step in in applying this well or correctly is asking the question, am I the mature believer in this analogy or am I the weaker believer? Am I the stronger believer or am I the weaker believer? Do I understand the faith that I have and am I walking in those as choices or am I living in legalism and obligation? If, do I think that keeping the rules and keeping the law is what is going to make me close to God? Am I walking as a weaker believer Or am I walking as a more mature believer? And if I'm walking as a more mature believer that understands that my my relationship with God is not dictated by the law, but it's dictated by my faithfulness to the Spirit, then the question for me, for you, is, am I actually asking God in all areas of my life if my choices are honoring to Him? 
about what I eat or don't eat or drink or don't drink, what I, um, what I wear, what I, uh, how I plan my schedule, what, how much time do I work and how much time I rest and how much time I spend in fellowship, how much time I'm worshiping and spending time with him. Am I asking him about how he wants me to spend money or where he wants me to give it? How much, how little, where, when, to who? Am I asking uh, him about how I'm spending money, what my priorities and responsibilities? And do I have confidence? Do I have faith? Do I have confidence to know that I'm being faithful to him in those things? Am I asking him about my career and my education and the decisions that are being made there? Do I have confidence that I'm walking with him in those things? Do I have confidence that... I'm asking him about the relationships that I have and who I'm giving my heart to and and who I'm spending time with and who I'm trusting, who I'm influencing or allowing to influence. Am I asking him about all of these things? Do I have confidence that I'm walking with him in those things? And, And taking all of that as a believer and saying, if if I do think that I understand the freedom that I have, am I using that freedom well? And now, if I'm using that freedom well, what is my mentality towards believers that aren't quite there yet? That may have different views or different ideas, who maybe don't have that understanding yet. Am I being judgmental? Am I being arrogant? And am I being an elitist? Or am I being kind and loving and gracious? And just trying to help people move along on the same road that I'm on. Think through that. Am I, first, am I confident that I'm using this freedom well? And second, am I being considerate in the way that I use it? In a way that builds other people up and doesn't tear them down. So that I can walk with my head held high, knowing that I am walking in the gospel the way that God wants me to walk in it that I am walking in his love and showing his love accurately to everyone who's around me, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, whether they're in my family, whether they're in my church family, whether they're believers in other churches, whether they're here, whether they're around the world, whether they're at the desk next to me or wherever. Am I walking in love and in the light and in the gospel, the good news, the way that he designed me to? And I'm telling you, if, you if, if you're not there, there is no greater freedom and there is no greater peace and there is no greater joy in life than to know you are walking in the light and in the love that God created you to. And to have no shame or fear or judgment or any of that between you and God, to know that you are walking the way that he created you to walk. And that's where real freedom and real joy comes from in life. And I'm working on it. And I want you to work on it with me. And to make sure that together here in our church and our fellowship and our body, we're a church that understands that we have people all along the path. We have people on the path that that have a really good understanding of the gospel. And I think we have a much more developed understanding of the gospel than we did last fall. And we have people who have a less developed understanding of the gospel because they're newer believers and they're just getting started and they're learning or they've, maybe you've been in a church where this wasn't taught, where you were in a legalistic environment where it was rules, 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 rules all the time and understanding how to be set free from that and you're working on coming out of that. 
We have, we have believers here that have been walking in that freedom for a long time have made different decisions about things. And so what we need to do is we need to love each other and show each other grace and walk with each other and work on building each other up. And only by doing that do we have a platform to influence each other. All right. So let's make sure that we're doing that together and walking in the love of God. So let's take this to him now. Let's pray and ask him to bless all of this, to bind us together in love. Father, we come to you and thank you so much for this teaching, this example, because it is so easy for us to rest in our rightness and to use that as a platform to stand on and oftentimes a platform where we judge others or we look at others and we think that they, they uh, because they don't know what we know or they don't live the way that we live, that they're in any way less in your eyes. And they are not. They are your child. We are your child. We're at different places on the journey. And even as we walk on this journey, you lead us to different things. And we trust you in that. We trust you with each other. We trust that our responsibility is to make sure that not only we are walking faithfully with you so that when we do stand before judgment, that we can hold our head high and know that we, we used our life and we used everything you gave us and we made the choices that are honoring to you. Not only choices for ourselves, but we were also considerate of the people around us, other believers that are walking, that we were loving and gracious and kind, that we were understanding And that, Lord, that when someone looks at us from the outside as your child, they would see an accurate representation of you. Because, God, when you look at us, you see sinful people. And you're the only one that has the authority or the position to judge. And if you just judged us based on our own merits... It's guilty across the board. And we have failed you and we can't even come close to understanding things the way that you understand them. But you don't despise us. You don't throw us aside. You don't put a stumbling block in our way. You love us. Jesus, you were willing to humble yourself to the point of death on the cross so that we sinful, foolish, arrogant human beings could be forgiven of our sin and made right before God. a tremendous act of grace. Someone may make that decision today, God, in front of you for the first time to put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, his death and his resurrection. To say, I'm done trusting in myself for salvation. I'm trusting in Jesus today. And whether that's today for the first time or for many of us in the room that made that decision before today, we all started at zero. We, we, we have to learn. You're, and you're so gracious to teach us, to open our eyes continually to new things and new understandings, to, 
to, to learn more and more day by day about the freedom that you've given to us, about the life that you've created us for, about the, the power and direction that the Spirit gives to us, how he teaches us and changes us and transforms us into the glorious image of Jesus, and the fact that we're on a journey and we, we fail all the time and, and we get back up and we're walking with you the best that we can. You never despise us. You never cast us away. You never cause us to trip on purpose. You just continually pick us up in love and keep us moving forward. And so we thank you for that grace, the ongoing grace that we have. And if that's the way that you walk with us, then it's the way we want to walk with each other. In the same way that you are building us up, we are building each other up in your name. And so, God, I ask today for all of us that you would lead us as we seek you in all these areas of our life, that you, would seek, that you would lead us to confidence in our faith, confidence in the decisions that are being made in our life, about all these different areas of our life, that we are confident that our life as a whole is bringing honor and glory to you. And that as we make those decisions, we would take into consideration, you would, you would allow us, give us spiritual wisdom and discernment and eyes to see how to take into consideration our brothers and sisters around us that are in different places. So that we all together can be built up as one. That we may be unified in the most important things, the majors, in the truth that you gave your son for us and that the world needs to know. And so we thank you today for the relationships you've given to us, for the confidence that you've given to us, the spiritual family that you've brought us into, the work that you have for us to do. And we're asking you today to not only lead us into the image of Jesus, but to fill us with love to each other as we do. All in light of the love that you have for us, not to cast us away, but to receive us. And so, God, all the decisions that we make today, all the changes that we make, the transformation that happens in our heart, we pray that you are pleased by it. And we offer it to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.